ahead and entertain his presence for another moment. He is great and greatly to be praised. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Come on, you feel that victory? You feel the strength of the Lord? The power of the Holy Ghost? You feel God's affirmation of you and over you? You feel the witness of the Holy Ghost? God saying, you're not by yourself. I've not forgotten you. I've not forsaken you. You don't have to fight this battle all by yourself. Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! He's greater than your sickness. He's greater than your anxiety. He's greater than your depression. He's greater than your unanswered questions. He's greater than your problems. He's great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! give you praise. What an awesome presence of the Lord is here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I so appreciate and I honor you for maturity that exists in this congregation as exemplified by the balance of spirit and word. You can go to some houses of worship and some churches, and there will be an emotional response to music and song and praise, but when it comes time to transition into the word of the Lord, you can tell that there's a great immaturity. There's a congregation that is biblically illiterate, and in the absence of music or something to move the emotion or the soul of the individual, they don't really know how to respond to the Spirit of the Lord that speaks through the Scripture. That's not the case here. And for that, uh, I give your leaders honor. That is a testament to decades of great leadership. But it's also, it's also a testament to you and to your response and to giving yourself to the process of maturity and growth. And for that, I give you honor. 
And uh, you know, some places you go and pastors out of town, you might as well just cancel service because. But I'm glad it's not that way here. And I give you honor today for your faithfulness and your worship and sacrifice and service. Uh, not just this day, but every day. And this is a great congregation, and it has been my honor to be here with you this weekend. God is good. God is good. Obviously, I give high honor to Pastor and Sister Wright. And, uh, Brother Jalen already said it, but this is a good family. Now, I'm going to tell you something. No family's perfect. But this is a good family. And I'm thankful that God in His kindness and wisdom has orchestrated this connection. And I honor them in their absence and so appreciate uh, not only what they do, but just who they are. And when uh, we were here last summer, my wife and I so enjoyed just sitting with them. And not just talking ministry, but laughing and sharing stories and talking about marriage and family. And I just appreciate real people. And uh, you, you've got a good, 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 good shepherd. And for that, you should be thankful. But no shepherd can do it alone. And I honor the host of men and ministries and leaders, uh, so many people in this congregation that, that make it what it is, and I'm grateful uh, for them. If you have a Bible tonight, I'm going to read from Exodus, the 14th chapter. We'll begin at verse number 13, and I'll read all the way down through verse 17. Pardon me, I'm going to begin at verse number 10 through verse 17. A lengthy reading, but I just commend you for being a word, church, right? <laughs> Exodus 14 and verse 10. The scripture says, When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. They said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it 
The children of Israel shall go on dry ground to the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I, this is the Lord now, I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. The Lord said, Moses, why are you crying to me? Turn around, look at the children of Israel, and this is what I want you to tell them. It's time to go forward. And I want to preach to you tonight on this subject, moving forward. Moving forward. Before you're seated one more time, would you just lift your hands and lift your voice and just tell God. Tell God, I want you to have your way here tonight. Let every thought be taken captive to the obedience of Christ. Let every work of distraction that would rise from a human spirit or a demonic spirit be taken captive right now. That we could receive the fullness of what God has for us this night. We hunger for it, God. In Jesus' name. And the Lord bless you as you're seated tonight. You are likely in some measure familiar with the story of Scripture. That God told the patriarch Abraham that for a time his people would find themselves captive, but that there would be a appointed time of deliverance, and now that time has come. As I referenced this morning, the Lord captures the attention of Moses and calls him into what we could call his divine destiny, God's purpose for his life, and begins to tell him that, Moses, you are the one I'm going to use to deliver my people. Moses, I'm going to stand you before Pharaoh. You will be the messenger and the voice of my deliverance. And so, in the face of uncertainty and apprehension, he is obedient to the Lord and eventually finds his way standing before Pharaoh. And as you are probably well aware, Pharaoh was reluctant to obey. No problem, because God told Moses, I'm going to do this by mighty signs and wonders. Ten miraculous plagues that though we might read and just think these are randomly selected or done by uh, without divine design, the fact is God was systematically showing Pharaoh the unraveling of the created order because when the river returns to blood, the frogs have no place to live. And when the frog dies, it gives birth to gnats. And all of a sudden, you realize this is 
not simply ten random occurrences, but God is trying to communicate something to Pharaoh and by extension to us that when you reject God's word and God's ways, you submit yourself to the unraveling of created order. Why do you think countries are falling apart? Societies are collapsing. You know why? Because we just decided marriage doesn't matter anymore. It's not to be honored. It's just something you can do and get out of. Well, I'm sorry, but it was the fabric of creation. And when you reject God's divine order and the patterns of heaven that were implemented on the earth, you pull one strand of truth and suddenly everything begins to unravel. And ultimately, after the firstborn is killed, that final plague when the death angel comes through and the houses that have no blood, it's a pattern consistent through Scripture. But what God was trying to communicate to him ultimately is the Egyptian God is not real. I am, and when you choose not to serve me, there's a consequence. So, finally, Pharaoh comes to this place of realization where, okay, evidently, this God that you claim to speak on behalf of has more power than me. He's mightier than I am. I'll let you go. And in, in one night, by God's divine power, some two to three million Jews, history would estimate, walked free of Egyptian captivity, and they begin to make their way towards this land that God had been talking to the prophet about. Good land, a large land, flows with milk and honey. There's no lack, there's no bondage, there's no Pharaoh, there's no Egyptian taskmaster, there's no evil in this place, there's freedom and liberty, and there's love and there's joy, and you're not building for the systems of Egypt, but you're going to build for the glory of the Lord. But... As I've alluded to already this weekend, Israel had a problem. They had a tendency to talk about things they shouldn't talk about. I know we all do this. Nobody here tonight is exempt. We all deal with that human nature. But when you start to develop a pattern and you let that pattern become permissible, you better watch out. Now, it's one thing to get a little upset and say something in a moment and repent of it and not do it again, but, friend, they just wanted to complain about everything. They were going to complain about their food or their lack of food. They were going to complain about being thirsty. They were going to complain about the journey, and they were going to complain about the leave. Listen, the complaint that came from their lips had nothing to do with the scenery or the circumstance they found themselves in but it revealed the condition of their heart. Such is the case where we read tonight in Exodus 14. The prophet of God is trying to lead the people of God to the land the Lord has spoken of. He has a clear word from God, a vision of what the future is going to look like. But the vision that God has put in the mind and the heart of the prophet is at war with the mentality of the people. So it begs the question tonight, what paradigm of thinking is resident in the Israelites and is the problem 
in this story. Because if I'm to put myself in their shoes, if I have just watched the God whom I serve by ten supernatural plagues bring me out of bondage, one might think my faith would be at a level to believe the same God that brought me out was about to take me in. But such was not the case. And Moses, well, yes, he has a compassion for the people. He also, as a prophet of God, feels the emotion of God himself. And while he has a love and a concern for those he is leading, there is also this righteous indignation and this this dissipating of patience that's happening as his patience grows thin because he knows what God has said and he knows what God desires to do and what he has spoken for God and he has seen for God and he is even now leading for God. There is a mentality among the people that wars with what the prophet has spoken. And the Lord says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn around and tell those people, it's time to go forward. And so I rise on this Sunday night, on this first Sunday of 2024, to tell you great people exactly what God told Moses. It's time to go forward. I know we sit tonight and there are probably innumerable obstacles that we could talk about. There are circumstances and problems and battles and pressures. We've got prayers that aren't answered and questions that we haven't got resolutions for. But you hear this preacher tonight. The Holy Ghost told me to tell you it's time for us to move forward. We're going to move forward in the face of every obstacle. We're going to move forward in the face of every battle, in every opposition. We're going to move forward in in the face of uncertainty. We're going to move forward. Yeah, you might have sickness in your body. You might have fear in your mind. You might be battling in your heart. But you hear this preacher tonight. We're going to move forward. I got a word for you tonight. I want you to hear me. In this moment and in this year, inaction is unacceptable. It's time to move forward. God help me in in January of 2025. You better not be standing in the same place you are right now. On the first Sunday of February in 2024, you ought not to be walking in the same dimension you are right now because it's time to move forward. It's time to rise up in the face of uncertainty and conflict and opposition and say, God, I hear you and I'm going. In a world that wants to kill your mind and drown it in worry in the midst of adversity that you are so inclined to become anxious toward. God says, go forward. Inaction is unacceptable. God, how? I'll tell you how. Because if we'll go forward, he'll fight for us. See, it's not your battle to fight. 
but it is your choice to obey. And if you just choose to rise up and start putting one foot in front of the other and one foot in front of the other, maybe it's going to be a slow step, but at least take a step. Maybe it's going to be a long step. Listen to me. We all walk the journey at different paces. But this is what I've come to tell you tonight. On the individual level and on the corporate level, it's time for you to take your next step. I want to talk to the corporate church tonight. But I understand the corporate body is simply the coming together of many individuals. So I don't want to speak metaphorically to the corporate body and you miss what the Holy Ghost is saying to you. So you better not be standing where you are right now three months from now or six months from now or nine months from now. What what do you mean, preacher? I'll tell you what I mean. It's time for you to resist things. The development of righteousness and holiness in your life. It's time for you to stop becoming passive and dismissive towards the formation of Christ's likeness in your life. It's time for you to stop being passive towards prayer and fasting. It's time for you to stop skipping over your daily devotion like it doesn't matter. Don't you mistake God's mercy and His kindness as His permission for your half-hearted living. I'm telling you, it's time to take the next step. There's some of us, you're good people. You love God. You love the body. But you've been standing where you're standing right now for far too long. Moses said, for the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight against your enemies. See, you don't have to fight the battle. He will. But you do have to obey and start walking. See, if you don't walk, he won't war. I know what we do well, you know, God. Once you get that all taken care of. No, 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 no. God says, don't you understand what I'm trying to do? You have lived for 400 years in an Egyptian system where your provision was entirely dependent on what you produced for this wicked Pharaoh. But God was trying to teach them, I'm not like Pharaoh. I don't do for you based on what you do for me because you can't do anything for me anyway. I do for you because I love you. And in that Egyptian system that was void of love and trust, I'm trying to show you in the system that I'm bringing you into that we operate on the virtues of love and trust. I want you to do this for me because you love me. And I want you to know that I'm doing it for you because I love you. And I want you to know that when I tell you to walk forward in the face of adversity, you can trust me that I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I've not forgotten you. prophet would write hundreds of years later that God had picked them up and carried them like a father does a son or a shepherd would a sheep. It was the imagery of the deliverance. But they didn't have that scripture. They were living the story that that scripture would reference. And God was trying to show them, you can trust me, but I need you to move forward. 
prophet Isaiah said, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God, and I will strengthen thee, and I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And so with an assurance of God's help, and at the conclusion of ten plagues, how in the world do we find the narrative of this story? Well, I'll tell you how. There's two mentalities resident in the verses we have read tonight. That in my estimation, after traveling around North America for the last couple plus years, they're very resident in North American church. We read in verse number 10, For when Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. They were sore afraid. See, that first mentality is fear. It's a spirit of fear. And I know in some measure we all wrestle with fear in our own ways, times, and seasons. And I'm telling you, in March of 2020, the spirit of fear swept the world in a way that I don't think it has since the 1940s. Now the spirit of fear is loosed upon this earth. And when it works its way into your life, into your family, into your church, and it mobilizes you, and feet that should march forward in faith become frozen in fear. And I know we think fear is this big spooky thing that shows up at the end of our bed. Let me tell you, the real spirit of fear is a lot more subtle. The first time you find fear in the scripture is Genesis chapter 3. You say, preacher, I, I've already got through that in the bread program this year. I don't remember reading the word fear. Yeah, you ain't going to find the word. But I'm telling you, the spirit's there. Why do you think when Adam heard the Lord coming to fellowship with him, as he had so many times before, on that day he didn't rush to meet with the Lord, but rather he ran from the Lord and hid himself in the bushes? Why would a man hide himself? I'll tell you why. Because he's afraid. What's he afraid of? He's afraid that the same God he has fellowship with and intimacy and closeness so many times before because of his failure will now have nothing to do with him. So what is fear? I'll tell you what fear is. Fear is a spirit that lies to you about the nature of God. It's not a spooky thing at the end of your bed. In fact, the most dangerous form of fear is not a manifestation that brings intimidation, but it's something much more subtle that brings deception. It's a narrative, a lie, a fear-provoked thought in your mind that you give voice to where you start to tell yourself that if I move forward, I'm going to suffer the consequence because God is not with me. He has left me. 
He's forsaken me. Yes, evidently God was here in the ten plagues. God was here in the signs and wonders. But now in the process, when I cannot perceive the work of God, they deemed him to be absent. Fear told them that. And when there was a land, a future that was more than they could ever imagine. It was everything God had told the prophet about. They should have been marching forward with faith. They should have been ready to take the land that was theirs. Fear immobilized them. Some of you in this house tonight, I'll tell you what you need delivered from. You need delivered from the fear of other people's opinion. Who cares what they think? Paul said, come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. See, this is the question that each of us has to answer tonight. Who is it that we seek to be accepted by? Does my fear of God move me to live in a manner that would cause the Lord Almighty to accept me? Or do I so fear the opinions of my coworkers and colleagues and my family and friends and my classmates and cousins that I live in rejection and denial of the word of God because I seek to be accepted by them more than I do by him? It's fear. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that live short of their promised land. Listen, I, I was in Israel last March, and I'm standing there at the Dead Sea, and you, you got the mountains all around you in the middle of the desert, and our tour guide, he points at a hill. He said, you see that mountain right there? Yeah. He said, that's Mount Nebo. I'm thinking, my goodness. I'm right, I, I'm standing in the promised land right now. This is it. This is what God told the prophet about. And there where they buried him, that close, close enough to see it, and not step foot in it, because fear started having its way, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that never walk in their God-given potential, and never walk in dimensions of power and authority, and churches that fall short of God's potential for them, because somehow, some way, fear started lying to them, and they surrendered their future to the voice of their fear. And in this case, even though they're so close, they're marching forward. As they're marching forward, they see a body of water on one side. And they hear the footsteps of that Egyptian army. The sound of horses and chariots. They can hear the clanking of swords and spears. And every time that sound enters their ear, the grip of fear becomes ever so strong on their heart. And when they were supposed to go forward... wasn't just fear, because fear has a close friend called familiarity. Because <clears throat> in moments of crisis and uncertainty, you know what we do? We seek to cling to what is familiar. And so on the heels of giving voice to fear, we read in verse 12 that the scripture had said, the people say to Moses, didn't we tell you this back in Egypt? You should have just left us alone. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. Did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Wait a minute. 
Who told you you were going to die in the wilderness? It wasn't God. It wasn't the prophet. I'll tell you who it was. It was fear. And because you gave voice to fear, fear caused you to start seeking familiarity. And you start saying foolish stuff like this. We'd have been better off if you just left us back there. We'd have been better off if you just left us. Listen, Egypt was not better than where they were. But it was more familiar. It was easier for them to seek a lifestyle that was familiar, even if it was not right, than it was for them to confront their fear and to actually live by faith. We get locked out of buildings in 2020, and we're all going to rise against the government. When we get back, we know we're going to be we're so up. Yeah, right. And that lasted for two weeks. And then we just went back to what we've always done. Back to the same measure of familiarity. And as much as fear has stolen promises and buried prophecies and stopped revivals. I'm telling you, familiarity has too. What would you do if pastor came back from this vacation and said, you know what, church, I, the Lord really started talking to me on that boat. We're going to start fasting three days a week and we're going to have prayer meetings at, you know, for the next 21 months. And we're going to start having church every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday for the next three months. Well, I got all the excitement. I can read your mind right now. Now, if you do something like that as a work of the flesh, it will wear you out. But it just might be that the Holy Ghost puts something on pastor that calls you to a measure of living that would beckon you to forsake the familiar lifestyle you have developed for yourself. And it's in those moments that the Spirit calls us to forsake familiarity and to confront our fear and to step into a dimension of radical faith that we realize how much of our life is actually built on tradition. And I'm not saying we just forsake tradition for the sake of of forsaking it. Some tradition is good, but there's a danger in tradition that you can just fulfill the religious tradition and never discover the revelation that the tradition was designed to introduce you to what would happen if the Holy Ghost showed up in your life and your family and this church this year and called you to some radical measure of obedience that would require you to forsake the lifestyle that has become so familiar telling you, there's a lot of churches that never cross over into their land of promise because they don't confront the fear and they're not willing to conquer the familiarity. Moses! Why'd you take us out? It'd have been better for us to be back there. What a foolish statement. 
What an indictment against God's character, his love for them, his belief in them, his want to give them good. What an indictment against the power and demonstration of God that had brought them out of Egypt in the first place. It's not better for you back there. You're supposed to be over there. But fear caused them to stop walking. It changed the direction of their vision from where God was leading them to what was chasing them. It caused their conversation to stop being about a land that flowed with milk and honey. He was talking about a land of bondage that they had been delivered from. These are the mentalities that war against the church to keep the church from moving forward. Fear. And familiarity. And as Moses is wrestling with these mentalities among the people, grappling with the effect of these spirits upon the minds and the hearts of the camp of the Israelites, the Lord says, Moses, why are you crying unto me? I want you to catch this now because when you read those scriptures, Moses is engaged in a dialogue with the people. And while he's speaking one thing to the people, the posture of his heart towards God is another. He's trying to encourage the people to move forward, but in his heart before God. While he's bold with them, he's broken before God. It's the disposition, it's the plight of the prophet. While there's a compassion for those that he leads, there's also... The emotion of God stirring within him. And while he, on the one hand, speaks boldly of what thus saith the Lord, on the other hand, he's broken. And the Lord says, I want you to speak to the people of Israel. That they will come. I can imagine when Moses came back from this little encounter with God and said, hey folks, this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk forward. Oh, right. Apparently you don't see what we do, Moses. That is a great body of water. An impassable sea. Just what were you expecting us to do? Luckily for him, he had already received an instruction from the Lord. God said, you're going to lift up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go through on dry ground in the midst of the sea. What are we going to do, Moses? I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to walk up to the edge of that water. And I'm going to stretch out my rod and my hands over that. And, and the, the wind of God is going to blow. And those waters are going to part. As I said last night, I'm sure there were some scorners and mockers who were always lingering around the fringes of spiritual demonstrations who were like, okay, Moses, right. Yeah. Okay. I'll believe that when I see it. Moses would be like, yeah, well, I hope you've got a front row seat. And he walked over to the edge of that water. He stretched up his hands. And just as God had said, the waters began to part. Now that was only the first miracle. The second miracle was that they passed through on dry ground. 
I want you to hear me right now. Because the Holy Ghost wants to talk to somebody. The first miracle was that God made a way. He parted the water. But the second miracle was that he dried the ground. The first miracle was that he made a way. The second miracle was he made a way to accelerate the journey. Because what should have been a a gruesome, weary, hard journey walking through that muddy, sandy bottom of the sea and millions of people and carts and all their possessions and all those children and all those. It should have been difficult. It should have been hard. But God said, I'm not just making a way for you to get through. I'm making a way for you to get through faster than you should. And so let me tell you what happens in the last days. It's the principle of the 11th hour worker. God says, I start doing things at an accelerated rate. So, so, so somebody comes in the church. He only been around a couple years. He, he wasn't raised in this. He, he didn't know this. He's been around a little while. And all of a sudden, God starts using him. And listen, I don't mean no disrespect tonight, but I've been around this thing a long time. I've watched people who sat on the pews of apostolic churches for decades, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, who've never bared no fruit, don't ever come to prayer meeting, never taught a Bible study. I don't even know if they're faithful with their ties. They sure look the part, but there's no kingdom production. God says, hey, no problem, because it's the 11th hour. It's the last days. And though there were some great men like Bishop Wright and Pastor Wright who've been around for years and given and labored and served, I don't have that much time. And so God says, even though you come in in the last hour, in the last days, and you've been here a short time, I'm going to start doing something through you and putting gifts in you and anointing on you. I'm going to accelerate my work in the last days. But you can't get feeling too good about yourself because he doesn't put that gift and anointing on you because you're good or you're so valuable. He bestows the gift upon the body because the value of the harvest. He paid the man who worked all day the same as he paid the one who only worked the end of the day. Not because he was more valuable or he was more gifted or he was better. It was because the value of the harvest. And I'm telling you, the eyes of the Lord are moving upon the church right now, upon the face of the earth, looking for those people and those places that will confront fear and will conquer familiarity, that will fight the beast that has buried so many prophecies that say, I'm willing to forsake familiarity. I'm willing to live with radical obedience and a lifestyle of faith. And it's those places and it's those people that God says, okay, I'm going to start putting my 11th hour anointing and my 11th hour giftings and my 11th hour prophecies on. It's the ability, the power, the blessing, the grace of an accelerated work. you don't get it unless you confront fear and you confront familiarity and you say all right Moses you told me to walk forward I'm going to start walking forward there's going to be a naysayer there's going to be a critic that rises up and well yeah you know you don't really need to do that you don't really need to live like that you want to come out to eat today no I'm fasting oh come on come on come on it's not that big listen Fasting's never convenient.
you say, preacher, by, by, by what right do you have to tell me that I can't, I can't be where I am this time next year, where I am right now? I'll tell you why. Because you know the next time the children of Israel came to a body of water like this, God told them to do something different. He didn't say stretch your hand out over the water. He said when the feet of the priests enter in the water. Because this was the principle. At the earlier juncture of your journey, my demonstration showed up here. But by the time you get to the next body of water you've got to cross, I expect you to be living at a greater level of faith than you were back there. So last time, I parted the water when you lifted your hand. But this time, I expect you to put your feet in the water with the belief that I'll do it this time just like I did last time. I'm telling you, you can't live. You can't live this year like you lived last year. You can't do it. You can't. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, God has some fulfilled prophecy on the near horizon for this church. But you're not going to get it if you try to live in 2024 the way you live in 2023. You have got to move forward. Forward into more obedience, forward into more consecration, forward into more prayer and fasting and Bible reading and devotion. Forward, forward, forward. I want you to stand together with me. You know, when the conflict started in Exodus 14, it's because... Verse 3, the Bible says, Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel that they are entangled in the land and the wilderness has shut them in. That word entangled, it means to be perplexed or confused. So here Pharaoh gets looking at the children of Israel walking through that wilderness, moving towards the land of promise. And he realizes, hey, they're trapped by a body of water over there. If I just send my army up the rear side, they'll be trapped. They'll be entangled, confused in the land. This is my chance. See, Pharaoh looked at them and thought, their circumstance will become their prison. He didn't realize that God knows our prison. You say, well, preacher, how do you reconcile that with, with Paul and Silas being in jail cells? Oh, it was a prison till they invited God in. And then it became a throne room. I'm telling you, God knows no prison. He who speaks of prison in their lives speaks only to the circumstance that they have not yet invited God into. And Pharaoh got to looking at them thinking, my goodness, look at that. They're entangled in the land. They're confused. They're ensnared in their sickness. Their family struggle has them perplexed. They're, they're bound up in their finances. There's, there's no way that they'll get out of this. Now is my chance. But you know how you deal with a Pharaoh? You just keep walking forward. Because if you just keep walking... He'll keep driving them out. 
It's not your battle. You don't got to be smart enough. You don't got to be strong enough. You just have to be obedient enough. And so the Lord said, it was the conclusion of our text in verse 17. God said, And I, behold, will harden the heart of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. I want you to hear it. God said, I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his host and his chariots and upon his horses. What he was saying was, I am going to get honor from Pharaoh. I'm going to do something to Pharaoh and his horsemen and his chariots that brings me honor. I know it might seem contrary to our North American mentality, but I want you to hear me tonight. If you would just step into that world of obedience and start marching forward in faith, I'm telling you God could do something so profound that your problems and your pain and your sickness will become an avenue to bring God honor. Was that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That the Lord said, I moved from the front to the back side of Israel. And it gave light to the camp of Israel. And it gave darkness to the Egyptians. The same cloud brought light to the people of God. And brought darkness to the world. Did you catch that? The same circumstance that confounds Pharaoh actually helps the people of God. The same circumstance that wreaks havoc on society and rips apart the world and confounds the wise actually facilitates the forward motion of God's people towards the land of promise. So you got to shake fear off your mind tonight. you got to rid your home of the spirit of fear. you got to conquer familiarity and hear the word of the Lord. It's time to move forward. And if we will start moving forward... God is not just going to make a way. He's going to make a way of accelerated passage. So what should have taken you a year or three years, what your budget said might take several years, what your strategic planning might have said, we've got to push off for a few more years. You hear me when the wind of God starts blowing, when you start walking forward in faith. God says, I have this way of accelerating my work in your life and in this church, but you have got to go forward. Forward. I'm telling Antioch tonight, it's time to move forward. You've been standing at this juncture for too long. It's time to move forward. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost would like to do an accelerated work. 
It might have taken somebody else 10 years to get there, but it might only take you one. The Holy Ghost might do something that removes the need for a budget. God might just open the windows of heaven and bring you enough resources to write a check and finish the project. He might activate a gift in you. He might develop a ministry in you. But you're not going to get from where you are to where you need to be if you try to stay in the comfort zone of familiarity. You've got to walk forward. A preacher, I have no way of escape. You always have a way of escape. Preacher, I don't know how. You don't have to know how. You just have to obey. That's what faith is. Faith is obedience in the absence of your understanding. It's your commitment to live right and do right when it's hard, when it's difficult. You got to stop resisting that area of consecration that the Lord is calling you into. Come on, you got to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. You cannot even arrange your thinking. You cannot begin to think clearly until your fear is placed in the Lord. I fear God more than I fear anybody else. I fear God more than I fear my family or my friends. I fear God more than I fear the bank or a businessman. I fear God more than I fear my employer or my boss. I fear God more than I fear the government. I fear God. And because I fear God, I have found the origin of wisdom. My mind is ordered correctly. My thinking is clearly. It doesn't make sense to the systems of the world. It's not supposed to. I've been telling you all weekend, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's the system of heaven invading the paradigms of earth. You got to move forward. 
got to start putting one foot in front of the other. You know what God's called you to. You know what God said. The word of the Lord has already been declared. The promise has been made known. The vision has been spoken. You know what we're working towards. You know what God has said the future looks like. Start walking towards it. Oh, God. I don't know if this, is a, if this is an annual theme, if it's just this Sunday, but this word unprecedented kind of captured my attention this morning. Because you know what precedent is, right? In the legal world, if there is a case that is tried, precedent is set. Which means every similar case is now measured against the legal precedent that has been determined. To be unprecedented means that no precedent has yet been set. There's nothing to measure this against. I've never encountered this before. This is a new problem, so precedent has not yet been set. Let me tell you how you move into the unprecedented. You've got to move forward. Because precedented means you are still walking in the domain of what is familiar. It's already been determined. We've been here before. But if you want what's unprecedented, not yet discovered, not yet experienced, ain't never encountered anything like that before. If you want unprecedented miracles, you've got to be willing to forsake what is familiar and walk into unfamiliar territory. You've got to find yourself in, in peculiar, uncertain, uh, unfamiliar predicaments that require you to exercise your faith. That lame man got up in Acts 3 and started making his way through the temple. The apostle said, why are you looking at us? As if we have done this by our own power. He said, I'll tell you how this happened. His name. And then he makes a statement. Through faith. Through. It's a passage word. How did, how did he pass? He passed by faith. He literally went from a world where the precedent said, this has never happened, it's not possible. But faith took him through. Through the barrier from precedented to unprecedented. Faith took him from a world where in the natural, this is impossible, to an arena 
possibility. Because with man, it might be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But you don't get through except by faith. That's why Paul said it's by grace through faith. Faith is a movement. It's an action. It's an obedience. That is not contingent and does not happen in response to your circumstance, but to your God. So I don't care if there's a Red Sea and an Egyptian army. The Lord told me to move forward, so we're moving forward. I don't care if you ain't never seen a prophet stretch his hands out over a sea and see the water part. The Holy Ghost told me to stretch my hands out and the water's going to part. You can live in the narrative of the precedent that has been set by your experience. But as for me, I'm going to forsake familiarity and move forward into unprecedented miracles. And I know we wrestle because we are creatures of logic and human reason. But I got a question for you tonight. you going to stand before God and say, well, Lord, I just chose to lower the standard of Scripture because I had never experienced it yet? Well, Lord, I just chose to overlook all that stuff about the miraculous and faith and power of God because I hadn't experienced it yet. What you're telling God is I've chosen to live by the precedent of the world rather than to forsake that familiar lie and move into a place where you will do everything you said you would do. So I ask you tonight, do you have a promise from God? Has God ever talked to you about what He'd like to do in your life? Has God ever put something in your heart? Are there any prophecies over this church that aren't yet fulfilled? Are there some promises and Visions that have been declared, words from God that have come by bishop and pastor and elders that we're still holding on to. I'm going to tell you how you're going to find them. You're going to have to start walking forward. And when you do, you're going to find out He can part that water and He can make a way, but He can also accelerate. Your passage through. And what might have taken another church three years might take you three months. And what at your last board meeting and your last business meeting, you might say, well, you know, hopefully by 2027 we can get this all wrapped up. God might say, well, if you just start walking forward, you might wrap it up in 2024. I'm just telling you that there is a host of promise and prophecy and miracles that are on the near horizon. But you're going to have to move forward. You've been standing where you are long enough. And that might mean something different to you than it does to you. To someone over here, it might mean you got to start reading your Bible more. Someone over here, it might mean you stop being late on your tithes. 
And someone back here, it might mean you increase your sacrificial giving. And someone over here, it might mean this be the year that you start fasting. I'm just telling you that the collective body moves forward when individuals decide that I'm not going to live this year where I lived last year. I'm done after this, but I heard Brother Willoughby say years ago, you know, if you're familiar with him, his personality, he's just an extravagant worshiper, passionate about the things of God. He would dance always. I heard him say years ago that just as it takes six men to carry a corpse out at a funeral, he said for every dead person in the church, he said, I think it takes six praisers to counteract what they bring to the atmosphere. Then I learned in church planning how true that was. Because you, you get a whole bunch of people, you know, you get 30, 40, 50 people in, the, in that church, and you think, man, we're, we're having revival, and the power of God's moving. And you get one dud that walks through the back door. And all of a sudden, the atmosphere changes. What I'm trying to tell you is the collective body can get held up when individuals don't live the way they're supposed to live. That's why there were some miracles that before Jesus did, He let people leave. So if Antioch is going to get everything God has for them, then you have got to start walking for You lift your hands to him now. I pray the spirit of revelation upon you right now. I pray that the Holy Ghost would speak to you clearly of the change of consecration that he is calling you to. I pray the word of the Lord would come to you clearly now of the obedience that the Lord would ask of you. You're not trapped, and this is not where you're going to die. There is a land that he told you about that he's going to take you to. But he's not going to transport you there. You're going to have to walk. You're going to have to walk. Jesus, help us.
In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Seal the word of the Lord into our spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. We're going forward. We're going forward. And when we do, the Lord is going to fight for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.